Well, we're going to be in 1 Kings 11 this evening. 1 Kings 11. And I'll go ahead and start us off with prayer, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump into 1 Kings 11. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have these things written for our benefit. Uh, as we're told in the New Testament, these things are written for our example that we may benefit from. And today we come upon something that in some ways is hard to understand and a little scary. I just pray that you would help us to take away the appropriate uh, warnings and danger signs uh, and also learn from it that we would avoid these kinds of problems in our lives. Pray that you'd use your word to be a help to us and encouragement and always a reminder of your goodness and faithfulness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the bad news, kids, is I'm sorry we don't have handouts today. I guess you've probably already figured it out because Lauren or Elizabeth or Wesley didn't rush to bring it to you. But um, even though that's true, this message today from 1 Kings 11 is extremely important for children. So I hope you can follow along with us because I think there's some really important things for you to see, especially at the beginning. Um, but even though this is an important message for kids, this is also a very important message for adults of all ages as well. Of course, we could say that about any passage of Scripture and any message we turn to. But I think as we look at the life of Solomon here and it, how it comes to a close... It, it's kind of scary to think about how Solomon was so wise, had been gifted by God with great knowledge and understanding and wisdom, discernment. And yet his discernment, his wisdom and how he lived his personal life and managed his family is was a complete mess. And we're going to see that in these first few verses of 1 Kings 11. But uh, God's faithful, and in spite of Solomon, we're going to see how he was unfaithful, we're going to see that God is faithful. Sometimes in the human experience, uh, it takes darkness and difficulty and hardship to highlight some of the good things and I think that's an example we see here. Solomon is going to be that backdrop to display the faithfulness of God. In spite of Solomon's failures, as we're going to look at, we're going to see that God is faithful. In a similar way, as an illustration, you could think of fireworks. What do you need to, to see fireworks? What has to happen? It has to get dark. The sun has to go down, right? We have to have darkness. And in order to, for the brilliance of these fireworks to be displayed, we need the, the vast, dark, black sky to highlight the beauty uh, and amazement of these fireworks. And in a similar way, the vastness of mankind's unfaithfulness highlights God's faithfulness. We're going to see that 
in 1 Kings. Hopefully you'll see that 1 Kings 11 uh, this evening because I believe it's there. So hopefully we can bring that out. Let's look at verses 1 through 8 first, though. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, and on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So, in spite of all that we've seen at the beginning of 1 Kings about Solomon, his wisdom, the riches that God gave him, the building project, he completed the temple and all his household complex and all that amazing stuff that God used him to do, we see it comes crashing to a halt here in chapter 11. We see here in chapter 11, Solomon's failure is highlighted for us here. And I want you to see, first of all, that he disregarded God's warnings. This was, uh, even though it's at the end, and the emphasis is on the end, it's clear that it didn't just start at the very end of his life, but was a disregard for the warnings of God early on in his life, though we may not know the exact time at which it started. But it tells us in verses 1 and 2 that Solomon loved many foreign women. These were not women from Israel. These were foreign women. And we see throughout the scriptures how God repeatedly said Israelites should marry other Israelites. And for what purpose? So that they would worship God together and their hearts wouldn't be turned away. So I'm, I'm going to say more about this later. But children, teenagers, it matters who you marry. It matters who you marry. The person you marry affects your worship of God. You want to marry someone who believes in God like you so that you can worship God together. Here's Solomon, this incredibly wise person, devoted to the Lord, at least that's how he started, and over time, he was worn down and ends up worshiping false gods. But it started with bad choices on who to marry. He didn't marry the women from Israel, 
uh, he married foreign women who did not know the Lord. And it also points out in verse 2, these were forbidden women. Not just foreign, but specifically forbidden women. Women that about which God said these nations you shouldn't marry, and that they would turn your heart away, which is also a forgotten warning that Solomon uh, disregarded there. A warning from God. Look with me at Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, and we'll jump back to 1 Kings pretty quick. Spend the rest of the evening there, but uh, maybe we'll peek at 2 Samuel a couple times too. But Deuteronomy 17, if you remember, for the introduction of the book of Kings, we talked about these warnings that God gave to those to the, the kings that were gonna that, that God knew they'd eventually have in Israel. Moses recorded these warnings and these commands for kings, and we covered this in the introduction, but I just remind you, look at verse 17 of Deuteronomy 17. It says, About the king, he shall not multiply wives for himself. Why? Or else his heart will turn away. It says the same thing about silver and gold multiplied for himself. But the warning there is, is there in Deuteronomy 17. Before Solomon was even born, this warning was given. God also reminded Solomon, as we'll see that a little bit later as well, but Solomon ignored these warnings. Just didn't pay attention to this and disobeyed this, disregarded the warnings that God gave. We also see how this, these relationships divided his devotion. It's interesting how it phrases this. It says, on the one hand, in verse 3, it says, his wives turned his heart away, right? Now, in verse 3, it says, how many wives? 700 wives. I can't imagine, I can say, this is recorded, I've got to be careful, but... Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine 700 mother-in-laws, right? No, I'm just teasing. I have a great mother-in-law. Um, uh, but uh, 700 wives, craziness. 700 wives, multiplied wives, certainly a disobedience of the command that God had given there. Um, but it says about these wives in verse 3 that they turned his heart away. They turned his heart away from the Lord. But notice... The language here and how it speaks of it, it also says in verse 4, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. So this is why I say this message is important for both young people and older folks as well. When did Solomon ultimately turn his heart away? When he was old. Sometimes we think if we reach a certain age or a certain point in our lives that the, the sinful struggles will, will go away and it'll just get easier. Well, Solomon is a very sobering warning that we need to be careful not to turn away from the Lord in our old age. And in this case, it was many years of foreign wives wearing him down. And eventually, he gave in. This is why we say, young people, who you marry is so important because 
the person you marry has a very powerful influence on who you become. So you want to marry somebody who loves the Lord and is going to encourage you to do what's right. It's very difficult to stand alone your whole life when your spouse doesn't walk with the Lord. It's hard. In his case, he had multiplied wives pressing against him. It reminds me of Samson. You remember Samson? Samson had the, the long hair because the Lord said the razor should not uh, touch his head. So he let his hair grow. And there was this woman, Delilah, who the Philistines promised, hey, if you tell, find out what, where his strength lies, we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver uh, for finding it out. And so, because she loves him so much, she pressed him to figure that out, right? Obviously not. But she pressed him. You know, and what, what man reading that isn't thinking, don't tell her, dummy, right? <laughs> don't tell her. Why would you tell her? But it says, and, and then the other thing that kills me, he tells her one thing that's not accurate, and she does it. And then... He's safe, right? So then you think for sure he's not going to tell her the second time. But he tells her something the second time. It's not accurate either. She tries it again. And then the third time, I think it takes four times, right, before he finally tells her. But the third time, he gets kind of close. He says, if you put my hair in, in weaves or whatever. And so he's hinting that it's hair. Um, and she tries it, and, 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 and then it doesn't work, and, and then she plays the you don't love me card, right? And then what does he do? Eventually, it, it talks about his emotional response to her pressing on him, that he finally, because he's so sick of her pressing, he finally tells her. And guess what? She cuts his hair, he loses his strength, and he gets taken prisoner. Dumb, Right? But that's what happens in an intimate man and woman relationship. There is an influence. And it's by design, which is why who you marry is so important. You need someone who's going to help you do what's right. Solomon made foolish choices here and married all kinds of women that were not helping him and wore him down over time. And it's... It's important to see uh, his mistakes here. Now, we'll, we'll cover a little bit more. But he had divided devotion. And part of the interesting part about this is if you read uh, verse 6, it says, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully. And, and I think the point of that is he tried to still maintain devotion to the Lord, but he also worshipped these others other gods to appease his wives and that doesn't work god deserves our exclusive devotion he is not satisfied with being worshiped alongside of other gods commandment number one you shall have no other gods before me right we must worship and honor god by giving him exclusive devotion, entire devotion. And Solomon obviously didn't do that. It's also interesting, he doesn't measure up. 
He doesn't measure up here. Uh, we see to David, look at verse 4. It says, He was not wholly devoted to the Lord as the heart of, his, of David his father had been. So we see he doesn't measure up to David. David is the standard, and that's actually an important thing to understand throughout this whole book. Because all of these kings that come after, at some point, they're going to be compared to how they are devoted to the Lord, like or not like David. He is the standard to which they're being compared. And Solomon, in this case, falls short. He doesn't measure up. Uh, David, in spite of his critical, critical mistake and sinful choices to uh, commit adultery with Bathsheba and then kill her husband, he repented of that, and God forgave him, and yet we don't see David worshiping other gods like Solomon does. Solomon also defied God. Very disturbing to see what Solomon does here. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. It says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and, Molech, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So we see here he builds worship centers for false gods. Amazing. The length to which Solomon went. He does this for a Moabite god. He does this for an Ammonite god. And it says in verse 8, he did this many times for, for his many wives so they could burn incense, so they can offer sacrifices. I could just imagine, imagine with me, I'm, I'm joking a little bit here, although there may have been some reality to this. I could just see things in Solomon's home, right? He's got these foreign wives. You built this big temple for your God? Where's the temple for my God? You don't love me, right? So eventually, because he's made poor choices in who he's married, he gets worn down, and he gives in. And he decides to build temples for their uh, worship as well. So, there are so many lessons, and I, and I think we could... We could even take the remaining minutes and walk through the lessons from this section alone. I, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to highlight a few things. I've said some of this already, but I'm going to try to drive it home because I think it's so urgent. Number one, who we marry is critical. Now, you may already, majority of us here are already in a marriage relationship, and um, you can't change that now, right? But you have to be faithful whether you're married to a believer or not. But what, what we can be doing is praying for the next generation. It is a daily prayer request for me to pray for my children, to pray for their future spouses. It's critical. It's a critical decision. Kids... You should be praying for your future husband or wife. Uh, something I didn't know until my, my wife and I got married. She told me she started praying when she was in junior high, seventh grade. Seventh grade, she, she uh, camp message, heard a camp message that you should start praying for your future husband. So she did. 
in obedience to that message. She started praying for her future husband. Well, we, we found out the time she started praying that way is right around the time when I got saved. You never know. You never know. Pray for your future husband or wife. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. This is such an urgent matter. The marital relationship has powerful influence on what we become. And we need to start it the right way by marrying the right person. Um, There's also a huge warning for those who uh, are older adults. Uh, There was a man who was a uh, former pastor that I was friends with in our previous church up in Flint. And it, and it kind of surprised me at times, but he, he said on multiple occasions, he was probably seven years old, had uh, multiple children who all seemed to be saved and married to saved people, having good, good families and uh, you know decent homes. And he had been married for a long time, faithful, um, very loyal at, at the church. He was a deacon serving and, and very faithful man. And he, I think he was in his late 60s or early 70s, and he said to me on multiple occasions, I don't want to become an old fool. He was very burdened that in his older age, he would not turn away from the Lord and live a foolish life and use his age as an excuse to be foolish. What a great example. Because Solomon, in his old age, was foolish. There's, there's three fallacies. Fallacies means false ideas um, that I want to highlight to you tonight. I, I actually read this in some of my study, and I thought it was so powerful to be a, a challenge to us. Uh, the first one that I want to share with you that applies here is the example fallacy. Sometimes we think people end up sinning in their lives because they never had a good example in their life. Look at what Solomon had. He had the example of his father David, who God holds up as the example, and yet he sinned. Now, am I saying it's not good or important to have a good example? It is. But having a good example doesn't guarantee spiritual success. And the lack of a good example doesn't guarantee spiritual failure either. It requires walking with God on a daily basis, being faithful all the days of our lives to seek the Lord with our whole heart. Just having an example doesn't guarantee success. So Solomon ends his life here being unfaithful to God, and yet we see with this backdrop that God is faithful. God is faithful even though Solomon was not. So I want you to see with me in verses 9 to 13 God's faithfulness to his promises here. Let's read those verses. It says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord had said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give you one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, 
and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So let's see, first of all, God's faithfulness in warning Solomon. I've pointed out multiple times as we've gone through this, how we see God warn Solomon repeatedly. We see in Deuteronomy 17, as we covered, God warned about this. God is faithful to warn. He warned Solomon. He warned him. He appeared to him, it says, twice in, in a dream and warned him in those instances. Um, we see uh, how God commanded Solomon directly, very directly commanded him about these issues, not to worship false gods. But we also see here, I think we need to understand about the nature of God, and this is important, is that he carries out the correction. And that is a demonstration of his faithfulness as well. He is the Heavenly Father. He must correct sinful behavior in his children. What would we say of a parent if we're in a supermarket and those kids are running wild and causing mayhem in the store? We'd say they're not a a responsible, faithful parent, right? God, as a faithful parent, corrects his children. So he's, he's going to correct and deal with Solomon because of his sin. God is faithful, and he's faithful in his correction. I want you to see with me 2 Samuel, which emphasizes this as well. 2 Samuel 7, where God is talking to David through, I, I believe, through Nathan the prophet. And he talks about Solomon. He says in verse 13, speaking of David's son, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him. With the rod of men and the strokes of men, the sons of men. So God says in 2 Samuel, Solomon's going to sin, and I'm going to correct him. And that's what God's doing. And we're going to see the rest of the chapter how he carries that out. But that's a demonstration of his faithfulness. He's doing what he said he would do. We also see how he's preserving uh, the kingdom to a degree for the sake of David. Look at 12 and 13. It says, Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. So first of all, he's going to delay this tearing of the kingdom until Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who's going to take over after him. Um, and it's for the sake of David and his, and his promises to David. But he also says, um, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. We talked, I think, last week about how God is, gonna, is putting his name in Jerusalem, and that's going to continue throughout the ages. So his faithfulness to his promises, his plans for the future of Jerusalem, and David. So we see God's faithfulness demonstrated here, even in this correction. Now, ultimately, we understand the fulfillment of the throne being established forever is through Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate son of David, through whom God is going to fulfill all those promises that uh, remain unfulfilled to David, um, but he's going to be that final ultimate fulfillment. But we see here 
God is faithful in spite of Solomon's unfaithfulness. And I would introduce here to you the two other fallacies that I was talking about. Um, we talked about how the example fallacy, you think if we just have a good example, we'll turn out okay. Not a guarantee. We also have the experience fallacy. Think, think here of the experiences that Solomon had. We can, we can think that because we've had significant spiritual experiences with God, that guarantees we're going to always be faithful to him. But Solomon wasn't. Solomon had God appear to him in dreams. God had told Solomon of answers to prayer. Solomon had seen answers to prayer. Those experiences didn't guarantee spiritual faithfulness on Solomon's part. It involves daily walking with the Lord, making the right choices on a daily basis, not just having a few experiences and counting on those. There's also the education fallacy. If we just teach people and they just know, then they're going to be okay. Well, education alone doesn't solve it either. God specifically warned Solomon about these very things. And he still disobeyed. Now, education is good. And we need education. And we should be teaching the word of God. But education alone is not the answer. It's the spirit of God working in our hearts so that we daily walk in obedience to him. Solomon had some good experiences and a lot of education, a lot of wisdom, but he was disobedient. He disregarded God's warnings. He was unfaithful, but yet, ultimately, God was faithful. We're going to walk quickly through. I know we only have about 10 minutes. But we're going to walk quickly through seeing how God raises up these adversaries against Solomon uh, for this correction, uh, as we were talking about. The first one is, is in 14 to 22. We're not going to read all of that, but I, I just want to draw your attention to a couple things here. Number one, this is Hadad from Edom. And, and what's really interesting to me about this is David, it, it tells us in the text here, David and Joab attacked the Edomites, and basically their plan was to wipe out every male in Edom. But yet, Hadad was one of the royal family who managed to escape down to Egypt and found shelter with, the, with Pharaoh and uh, ultimately got a wife and took back some men with him and eventually becomes an adversary for Solomon. What's significant about that? I'd say one of the things that's significant about that is the sovereignty of God. It tells us at the end of this chapter that Solomon reigned 40 years. This person who ends up becoming Solomon's adversary at the end of Solomon's reign escaped under David's reign when they were wiping out every male. And yet, one of them escaped, finds cover in Egypt, and then comes to be an adversary of Solomon. God had something to do with that, right? God preserved this guy for the purpose of dealing with Solomon. Speaks to the sovereignty and knowledge of God. He knew Solomon was going to disobey, and he prepared this person as an adversary because of that disobedience. Amazing 
to see the sovereignty of God at play there. We also see in verse 23, he raised up another adversary, Rezin, the son of Iliada. So, um, not as much written there about him, but another adversary that God used to give trouble to Solomon. So, two men who were external to Israel, God used as adversaries against them. Basically, one on the, the northern side and one on the southern side to give Solomon some trouble. But we also see 26 to 39, we see Jeroboam here. Jeroboam, who is going to end up being the king of of the northern tribes and is going to be a prominent person. Uh, I may be ruining further uh, future messages, but Jeroboam, like David, is the one that God compares to here with Solomon and the future kings of Judah. Jeroboam is going to be the one that God compares future kings of the north to. And he's going to end up actually being a really wicked king. But God is using him to divide the kingdom uh, because of Solomon's rebellion here. Um, and it tells us in 26, let me just read 26 to uh, 20. Well, let's, uh, let's start reading 26, and we'll get down a little bit about the prophet here talking to him. It says, Then Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerida, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow, and rebelled against the king. Now this was the reason why he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the millow and closed up the breach of the city of his father David. Now the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. It came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clothed himself in a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak which was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel." Because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. Verse 34, Nevertheless, I will not take away the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my da uh, servant David, whom I choose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it, to, give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I've chosen myself to put my name. So a few things there. Uh, simply, as we see, God is going to tear, tear away the kingdom and give it to Jeroboam, the ten tribes, but yet we see the faithfulness of God to David and his purposes with Jerusalem. He is going to preserve one tribe for the descendants of David and uh, preserve uh, Jerusalem. That, that tribe would uh, be in Jerusalem. And uh, one thing we should understand is we remember the original audience of this book. It's the captives in Babylon, right? So this 
is an encouragement to them that though they are in captivity for all the disobedience that has happened in Israel and we haven't even begun to uncover yet, for all of that disobedience, God is faithful. God is preserving for David a remnant. And they, in the captivity, are part of that fulfillment of God preserving a remnant for David and what he would eventually do in bringing them back to Jerusalem. Because in spite of man's unfaithfulness, because of the sins of Solomon and the horrible, detestable things that he ended up doing, God is still faithful to his word, to his people. So we're going to see at the close of the book here, the, the basic conclusion here of Solomon. Uh, verse 40 tells us Solomon wanted to kill Jeroboam. It says, Solomon sought therefore to put Jeroboam to death, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. It's really funny, the, uh, the relationship of Israel to Egypt here. Solomon got a wife from Egypt, and yet Egypt continues to have a role in being an adversary to Israel in spite of that. That, that also speaks to the foolishness of a political marriage. Um, but we see Solomon, it's not clear. Does Solomon know that Jeroboam's the guy that's going to get the kingdom or not? I mean, it tells us that the prophet met with Jeroboam in a, in a field alone. And they didn't have the internet, so he couldn't tweet out that, hey, I'm going to be the next king, right? So I, I, it's not clear what happened. Maybe this emboldened Jeroboam to actively rebel against Solomon. It's not clear. But what is clear was Solomon was uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam is going to lose the ten tribes, and Solomon saw Jeroboam as a threat and tried to wipe him out. And then this is this is what we have as the last act of the life of Solomon. Think about how despicable that is. How do you end your life? The last thing written about you is you were trying to kill a man. Ultimately, in the Christian life, how we end says more about us, actually, than how we start, right? We're going to sin, we're going to struggle, we're going to make mistakes. But it's important as believers in Jesus Christ that we are faithful to him to the end of our days. In fact, there are warnings, there are warnings in Scripture about those who turn away from the Lord, an indication that they never truly came to trust in Christ. And if we were just to look at the life of Solomon, we might question that too. He turned away. Does that ultimately mean he wasn't a believer? But I think based on other passages, he was. But his foolish choice of marrying so many foreign women ruined him. And he was unfaithful to the Lord at the end. A very, very sobering warning for us. We see at the end here, it, there's a, re, a record made of, of his life, just like all the other kings. We see that he reigned 40 years in verse 42. And that ultimately in 43, it says, Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. 
and his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. Um, a sad end. A sad end. And let it be a warning for us. Let it be a very serious warning for us. Those choices, young people, of who you marry are critical. Very critical. We've told our children, when they come to the point where they're going to get married, we want to be actively involved. You're, you're not just running off marrying some random person. We're, we're going to be involved, right? You've got to talk to us. We gotta, we're we're going to have some objectivity to be able to help you make the right decision. Parents, we should be actively praying, actively involved. We need to be careful. We need to be uh, daily walking with the Lord. Just having started well is not enough. We've got to finish well. And even when we're not faithful... We should still be encouraged, though we see here, like, like the dark sky of the unfaithfulness or the sinfulness of mankind, the faithfulness of God shines bright like the fireworks exploding on that sky. And we should praise Him and trust in Him because He alone is always faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are always faithful. You are completely trustworthy. We thank you that you are gracious and you are forgiving and you do work in our hearts to bring about repentance that we could uh, seek your forgiveness and cleansing. But Father, help us also to learn from the life of Solomon that even one who is so wise and started so well, it seems, can be brought down by some bad choices and ignoring disregarding serious warnings that you give. Help us to take your word seriously and revere it and strive daily to be wholly devoted to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.